The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The GDIY Spotlight is a monthly bonus episode highlighting nonprofits whose missions support hunting, dogs, dog training, and or conservation. At the end of the month, we donate 10% of Patreon proceeds to the featured organization. While the financial donation may not be much, it's our way of getting the message out and garnering more support for the causes that are important for all hunters, gun dog owners, and conservationists. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash gundogityourself to help support these great organizations in addition to helping out our podcast. We really appreciate all of our patrons, and as always, gun dog it yourself. All right, everybody, welcome back to this month's GDIY Spotlight. We're on the phone with Miss Tanya Brotherton. Miss Tanya, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? We're great. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, get started and just you're, you're with the National Bird Dog Museum. Kind of tell us what that falls under and, and just get started on it. The official name is the National Bird Dog Foundation, and under the umbrella of the National Bird Dog Foundation is the National Bird Dog Museum and the Hall of Fame. We have the Hall of Fame for the Pointer Setter Breeds, the Hall of Fame for the Retrievers, uh, Springer Spaniels, German Shorthair Pointers, Cockers, Weimaraners, Britneys, Beesla, and the Gordon Setters. Wow, so you kind of cover all the breeds there. So when yep. when did the museum or foundation get, get started? It actually opened uh, in 1991. It was uh, started, I don't know if anybody remembers the Wilson Dunn Sporting Goods, um, that he had a catalog sporting good business years ago, which was across the street. And um, him and one of his buddies, I kind of had an idea about the museum because Mr. Dunn had a little museum in the back of his sporting dog, uh, sporting gun store. And so they bought uh, 4.5 acres across the street and had a brain child. And um, they do- donated the land and built the building, and it 
broke ground, and on in 1991 is when the building officially opened up. Nice. So, so what was the mission to to start this museum? Was it did he just have a passion for bird dogs and wanted to preserve the history? That's it. Uh, it they both have a have a passion. Um, back in the old days, uh, hunting and fishing was a way of life and a way of survival. But over the years, it got to be kind of a competitive sport, um, and the guys just kind of. Bird hunting was competing. Field trial dogs were competing. And these guys had a love for that. And they just collected some pictures and trophies of different people that had passed on in this little museum. So that's why this got started. It was growing. And it is, this museum is dedicated to preserving the past and, um, and the history of the sporting dog enthusiast. And it's, here to protect it for the future so that future generations will know the history and some of the great stories that came. And um, it has grown into a 30,000-foot square building now. And we do, um, you know, we we do this by trying to um, have educational programs for, uh, we have our contest, the essay contest, to educate children and to help um get them kind of interested in this um this sporting dog world that's awesome so it really started out as a way to just kind of preserve the history and the tradition of hunting Uh and the bird dog lifestyle and y'all kind of turned it into an outreach and and a recruiting tool for for youth and getting new people involved right and we have actually there's a big um push to uh, kind of bring back hunting and fishing to the youth. And one of the things that has happened is they now hold youth field trials, and they are getting to be bigger and bigger, and there's a lot of support between uh, the people that were in the sport and people that are coming on just to kind of get their youth involved in it. And so it is growing into a youth sport. So are those youth field trials actually put on by the the museum and foundation itself? No, they are put on uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, They started actually down in Alabama and in Georgia and areas in that area. Uh, So the but the youth are are we? There are some in Tennessee, some in Georgia, some in Alabama. So it's growing uh, more. And um, Michigan has some. They're just all over. So we have not had youth field trials here, but uh, I think that's just a matter of time. So where all do your, do your guests that frequent the museum, where do they come from? Do you have any way to tell, like, you know? We have during um, – we do have a guest sign-in book. Now, during the February field trial Hall of Fame, which is our big weekend – uh, where we induct two people and two uh, dogs per breed into the Hall of Fame. We have anywhere from three to 600 people here on that particular weekend. But as, as a rule, um, people that are just visiting the museum come from all over the world. We have people um, right before the, the virus broke out and everything, we had some people from Sweden and Australia We've had people from Russia, from China, 
Uh, we have people come from Canada quite often um, and Australia quite often and, you know, just people from all over the United States. So we have it from all over the world. It's amazing to think about the the little seed that the museum plants with people. You know, if a family's traveling through there and a young kid right. comes in there and, and sees all the memorabilia and everything, I think it probably sticks with them and, and, and plants some desire in them to, to maybe get into gun dogs later on. Yes, it does. And they, uh, in this museum, even if you are not a hunting person, it's about dogs and, um, you know, and somewhat horses because the field trials here are done on horseback, although there is a Springer Spaniel trial close by, which is done on foot. But um, they, even if you're not a hunting person, you like dogs, and that's what a lot of people come in. They'll say, oh, we, we saw the sign, and we want to come in and see what this is all about. So it, it's interest from all, all age groups and all walks of life. Absolutely, and there's no telling how many people you've converted into into getting into hunting and gun dogs just by bringing them in that that normally wouldn't even be exposed to hunting dogs, and they probably leave there with a, a much different appreciation and outlook on hunting dogs and what they've meant to you know humankind for for centuries, essentially. That's exactly right. There has been people that has left here and. And even come back a year later and said, just because I was here and saw this, that, and other, and I, I got me a dog now, and I'm training my dog <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we, uh, you know, and they'll tell me it's my fault, but I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> but it, it is, it's very interesting and uh, that people do get into it. Um, and, and it's encouraging to know that younger people are really getting into it, so. Maybe you, know. you should have a, a disclaimer at the front door that says, you know, we're not responsible if you come back a year later and you own a own a couple bird dogs. That's exactly right. Not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you mentioned a couple of the different types of uh, field trials from horseback and, and the Springer with the on foot. What is kind of the criteria for a dog making it to the Hall of Fame? Is it is it just field trial, or do you have hunt test sections? You know, t- tell us what qu- qualifies a dog to make the Hall of Fame. Nick wants to get his dog what? into that Hall of Fame. It sounds like <laughs> why not? Well, it it could happen one of these days. Who knows? Uh, but to get into the Hall of Fame, it's basically uh, to what the dogs and the people who have excelled in the field trial sport, who has done, um, you know, have excelled um, doing well as far as the dogs have done exceptionally well. They have um, won several titles, uh, have good bloodlines and that sort of thing. And people, it's basically how they have excelled or what they have done for the field trial world or what they have done for the youth or have they, you know, uh, basically basically they have to, um, over time, it's what they have done for the field trial, um, you know, field trialing, sporting dog, um, the world the world for them people to come into. Um and usually the the dogs do have to be deceased before they can be entered into the Hall of Fame, and the people have to be 65 years or older. 
Okay. So, so it doesn't sound like there's really just a checklist out there. It's, do you guys have like a a voting committee that y'all come together and just kind of pull all the dogs and decide which one's worthy of the. Every every breed, um, the pointer setter has their own way of voting and electing people. Um, the pointer setter do theirs through, um, through the American field. They, uh, they, buy ads or stuff in the American field to promote who they want out there. And then there are ballots sent out for you to vote, and the one that gets the most votes uh, that way are the people they induct. Every breed does it different, but it's basically the same way. Like the retriever people, they do theirs electronically, but still they have a nominating committee of people who feel that they are eligible and they fit the criteria for being in the Hall of Fame. And um, and then the, they have a committee who puts the ballots out and then somebody that counts them and everything like that. And so each committee does it a different way. It's basically the same steps. So it's really kind of combined two different traditions in America. You got the bird dog tradition and then the good old politic and tradition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. I'm sure there's a lot of pride that goes into that. I mean, I, I can't imagine having a, a dog that's been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that's that's got to be a, a pretty prideful it's very, moment. Uh, it's a very good honor. Um, it is a very um, emotional time with these people by, because most of the people that come here um, are on up in years. And uh, it gets very, uh, very emotional because... Um, it's it's a time when I see a lot of grown men cry. And, um, <laughs> I can imagine. So I, I cry, too. And um, I, like I said, we had one guy last year. His son was going to speak on his behalf. He got up there, and he couldn't say a word. He broke out in tears. And his dad come up and hugged him, and that was all that was done. But that's all it took. You know, people understood uh and the whole audience was crying. So it, it's, it's very emotional and it's very honorable because these people are feel so blessed and honored to be, be there when they know there are so many other people deserving to be there too. And, you know, so it, it is a great honor and privilege to them. And, and like you said, these dogs mean a lot to these people. They, they think as much of them as their children, and some of these people, the dogs are their children. For sure. And so once the dog has gone and it's got into the Hall of Fame and they have to tell you a little something about the dog, that gets very emotional. So I, it's, it's, it's something to experience. I can imagine, you know, that the, the hunters and dog people in general are just naturally – overall a, a kind of traditional bunch and and they like you said they start looking at their dogs as their children and so i can only imagine kind of leaving that legacy behind of the years of hard work and adventures and, and memories they made just kind of enshrining them in a hall of fame to where their legacy lives on means a lot to everybody yes it does it's um it means a lot to their families and to their and to their peers and their friends they make some very um lasting friendships even though some of these guys compete against each other um during the nationals and everything they still 
um, they still build this special bond. They are very close, and and they, um, you know, it, it's you know, if they don't make it into the Hall of Fame, they're okay with that. If you know, because their friend got in there, and they think you know, it's it's a very um, special friendship and bond that they build over the years. Absolutely, they can uh, compete against each other, and then I guess in the off season they can be friends and and still congratulate right. each other on. Yeah on having their dog inducted into the hall of fame. So you guys are located basically right down the street from the Ames plantation, right? Yes. We're about, we're about five miles from the Ames plantation. Um, it, you know, which is where the nationals are held, which is considered the Super Bowl of field trials. And, um, ultimately, uh, historically we have been considered the field trial capital of the world for several years. Um, but um, that Zane's plantation, um, you know, we're, t- we're two different entities, but we still work together on stuff uh, because we're basically, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're not, their whole purpose is not, of course, the, you know, the nationals, but they're, that's one of their big things. But they are about an 18,400 acre working plantation. So, uh, they have, you know, cattle and farming and all that on that, but they do in February their their main uh, focal point is the nationals. So I imagine during the nationals that y'all are, that's probably your busiest time. Do y'all have some, oh, yes. some, some special events that kind of go along with the nationals? Yes, we, the first event we have is the Hall of Fame, which is the Saturday prior to the Nationals, and then we always okay. hold a kickoff party here on Sunday night, which all the Ames folks come over here, and all the people that are here for the Nationals come over here, and we have a kickoff party, and then the Nationals start on Monday morning at 8 o'clock, and they have... Um, you know, uh, they have two braces. They have a, a morning brace and an afternoon brace. And the morning brace is at 8 o'clock sharply, and the afternoon brace is at 1 o'clock sharply. And um, they do not cancel any running unless there is lightning or ice. Um, because, you know, if there's wind or rain or something, unless it's like threatening, uh, weather, then they they run in the rain, they run in the snow, you know. That's right. And it's a two-week, um, you know, two-week field trials, um, providing weather permitting and everything goes accordingly, which in field trialing, sometimes that doesn't happen. I right. mean, it has been, um, you know, there's been a time a couple of years ago that we had so much ice here in Tennessee that the field trials went on for a month. So, um, oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, it it they just couldn't run some days. So, and that's um, why you have to be. You said sixty five or older to have your dog into the Hall of Fame. So, you pretty much got to be retired <laughs> so that you can stick around for a month. Well, actually, you would be surprised that that the guy, most of the handlers, the people, the owners of the dog. They will come when their dog is running. Okay. But pretty much those dogs are here with their handler, um, which is the one that tra- their trainer and their handler. Um, so usually that's what the handler and trainer does for a living is handle or trains the dogs. And a lot of people that come just to be a part of the nationals and the field trials, they actually plan their 
vacations around this. So they take off for two weeks if they, you know, so that they can be here for the nationals. Now, if it goes on further than their two weeks, then, of course, they have to go home. And a lot of times some of the owners cannot even be here through uh, seeing their dog run, but if they happen to win it, then they will fly in to see their dog be awarded the the title. So, so kind of back to the museum, it, it seems like you've been involved with the museum and field trial and the Ames plantation, everything for a good while. How did, how did you get involved with, with all this? Well, actually, I have, I live uh, just a few minutes from the Ames. I'm actually on what, I live on what they call Ames Road. And so I'm just basically, I ride my four-wheeler over to the Ames Plantation quite regularly. <laughs> nice. Uh, so anyway, I and I have volunteered uh, before I even got to work here. I volunteered out at the Ames Plantation quite a bit. Uh, they have a historical society out there and everything else. So um, I, I just basically just volunteered out there and then just kind of grew up, you know, grew up with your granddaddy and your daddy and everybody hunting, you know. Um, so basically, like I said, back years ago, that was a way of life and a survival, you know. Um, so, and then, of course, I, when I married, I married a man that was also very interested in it. And so, um, and I love the history and the stories, and sure. I knew quite a few of the field trial people and bird dog people. But I can truly say, since I've got into this, I, um, with this job here, I have really been blessed and made some great friendships and um, met some wonderful people through all of this. Absolutely. So I, um, I, I guarantee you, you, you've piqued a bunch of people's interest here that, you know, that maybe didn't even know that there was a bird dog museum out there. So, you know, over the years, obviously, you're the person to ask. Kind of give us a, an audio tour of the museum and what people can kind of expect to see if they made the made the trip down or maybe they're passing through and want to stop and you know it, it's definitely a lot more than just a couple pictures on the wall with some pedigrees and stuff there's a, there's a lot more to the museum right well when you first come up into the museum there are several bronze statues of some of the national champion dogs different breeds um we have a a, a mound out front with a man flushing some quail, and at the moment he has a mockingbird sitting on his head. Um, so uh, anyway, he's nice. out there on uh, out uh, on the. Um, now he's moved to the tip of the gun, but anyway, he's holding. A <laughs> We're gun. getting a real time update here. <laughs> that's great. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> And there are some bronze quail and dogs on point, and that mound is called There They Go, because basically that's what a lot of the guys, when they're out there and they flush the quail, they'll holler, There They Go. So <laughs> that's what that is, um, you know, called out there. And we do have, like I said, we have retrievers, we have a German shorthair pointer, we have a Brittany Springer, and, and, um, some retrievers uh, out as you come in. And then our, our point, um, there is a dog uh, in a case that uh, is, his name is Count Noble. He's been stuffed since 1891, 
and he came to us here in May of 1999 from the Carnegie Museum. Uh, they didn't uh, no longer want it because they were changing their displays. So it's here on permanent display, and he is kind of the grandfather of some of the older setters that started out in the field trial. So you have that live uh, stuffed dog that's, like I said, it's been stuffed since 1891. We do have several uh, famous artist prints uh, of some of the um, national champions, the Fall, uh, Hall of Fame dogs. We have, um, we have like, um, Mr. Lawton's uh, art. We have um, just several artists that um, Lynn, uh, uh, I can't even remember their last name right now. Well, I can, um, I mean, I can kind of, I can visualize it in my head, and I guess it gives it away that we haven't been down there to visit, but we definitely want to come down and check it out. And, uh, you know, I, I can picture it in my head, but um, I can't wait Lynn to get down there point. and see it. You know, it's it's yeah. exciting. So yeah, it sounds like there yeah. there's a lot more than just pictures. You you have some taxidermy is, and uh, statues and artwork. We and, have artwork. We have uh, we have uh, actually a room that is taxidermy. Uh, it's called our wildlife room, and it's got all kind of different things in it. Years ago, there used to be some Tennessee red quail. We have a species okay. of them here. Yeah. But they are kind of been distinct. I think they're trying to bring them back. But So we do have um, taxidermy. We have a buggy in here. We have silver trophies. Um, you know, we just have, we have um, the firearm collection. Um, you know, we just have a lot of interest to different people, different age groups. We have a gift shop, uh, you know, that people like to visit. Um, like I said, it's it, it's Lynn Bogue Hunt and Mr. Lawton and just several different artists in here. Uh, we have, like I said, it's a, it's a multitude. Uh, we have a library. Uh, we display the children's artwork that win for the year. Uh, so we have a lot of interest to different age groups. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I can't wait to get down there and, and see it all for and myself. You guys need to come. Absolutely. Oh, we will. Yeah, we're we're coming. Um, so you guys are open back up at this point after you know the the coronavirus. Not that the the virus has ended, but uh, but you guys are open back up for business. So tell us where we can find you online and Facebook and and how people can can donate to the museum, the foundation. Okay, we we our our museum. Uh, is we are ran and we um, we strictly are funded through donations. Everything we do here is through donations. Okay. So um, even the the items we have here are uh, are donated to us. Sadly, to say most of them after death, we are left in you know some wheels and stuff like that. Wow. Um, and so we uh, we we strictly are funded through donations. Now, <clears throat> our our uh, bird dog um, museum website is www.birddogfoundation.com. Okay. And uh, then we have a Facebook page um, that is uh, the bird dog um, museum. Okay. Great. And you can go, you can go on either one of those. Uh, we we have. Uh, ways you can donate on uh, on there. We also have um, 
PayPal, you know, make, you can make calls. We just we do anything to try to make it convenient for people. And we have um, something a lot of people are taking advantage of if they have a um, loved one or a dog that they want to um, remember or honor. We're doing what we call a paving memory lane. When you come in, they um, you can call us and we we're putting the names on the bricks and we are putting them down as our interest and and they're a hundred dollars a piece so we have the bricks that you can honor uh, and they don't have to be national champion dogs they can be your pet or somebody that you may know that was in field trialing or if i'm if i'm paying the hundred dollars i can i can put any old fido's name on there i guess yep that's right that's it Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like it's a great time and we're definitely going to make it down there and and we definitely appreciate you taking the time and kind of sharing what the museum is about and and obviously it's very important to preserve the history and hopefully, you know, we like you said at the start of this, introduce people back to the magical world of gun dogs and hunting dogs and bird dogs and and just kind of stoke the fires on people that may be not not exposed to it on uh in their normal everyday life right right yes and it it is it's a great thing now we're always usually closed on monday but that's the only day we're closed um but it we we hope to um you know get like i said let this legacy live on and in order to do that we need to have younger people involved and we are like i said working on that but but it's it's worth a trip to just just sit around and listen to some of these guys tell their stories because they are they're wonderful absolutely well miss tanya thanks for coming on and we look forward to seeing you soon we're going to come down and visit you and visit the museum too okay well you do that and look forward to it and thanks so much yes ma'am thank you we'll talk to you soon have a good night okay Thanks for listening to this month's GDIY Spotlight. If you would like to see more on this month's featured organization, please check out our Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. You can also find the organization's link through our website at gundogityourself.com. If you have a suggestion for a nonprofit that could be a good fit for future episodes, please send an email to us at gundogityourself at gmail.com. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.